This is Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week on how to live well. Shine On is heard all over the world as a podcast, but it's heard first on the radio in New York's Hudson Valley. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On. Today you're going to meet Sister Judy from the Dominican Sisters of Hope at Mariondale in Ossining. And Sister Judy has an extensive background in and fabulous knowledge of the Enneagram. The Enneagram is a tool that can help you know yourself better. The Enneagram is a tool that can help you with all of your relationships. And in listening to Sister Judy today, I had like rockets going off in my head. People became clearer to me. I had crazy childhood memories that made me realize what path I took on the Enneagram. We each get a number on this journey, and you're going to recognize yourself right away. Surprises are in store. So, Sister Judy, I don't know where to begin, but tell us the story of the Enneagram. Well, that's a long, long, long story. Mm. <laughs> okay, so... Basically, the the word enneagram, any is the root the root for nine, and gram is a picture. So the enneagram basically is a picture, the circle, and it has a triangle in it, and then another six pointed figure that puts two points between each point on the triangle. So it's a nine pointed figure inscribed in a circle, and each of those nine points numbered one to nine represents uh, a different personality style, a different way of coping, kind of a different um, a defense mechanism that we usually use in some form when we're very, very young to cope with our reality. And uh, unexamined that if that works for us, if we keep doing it long before we, long after we need it. <laughs> Ah, I see. The Enneagram can help us understand ourselves better then. Exactly. I love it. Exactly. So where did this come from? Is this ancient? Well, it has its roots way back, and many people see that it was found in many ancient cultures, you know, in carvings and caves and stuff like that. And it seemed to go in multiple cultures. So a lot of it, maybe the more recent findings would put it in like Afghanistan and that area of the world, but it's really up for grabs because it has roots in uh, Islamic traditions and it's evolved. So eventually someone really delved into it and and began to see it as a reflection of reality. Is it psychology or is it spirituality? Yes and yes. <laughs> Very good. Okay. <laughs> it's psychology and it's spirituality. And what I adore about this is that it's not new. We can say it's probably hundreds of years old, if not thousands. Right. But it's had a modern adaptation, probably fairly recent. So eventually it was identified with personality styles, and then that was carried over, and it was the Jesuits that picked it up and began to see its relationship to spirituality and spiritual direction. So when I was introduced to it, 
it was said that the roots, the more modern roots, would have originated like in a tribe where there was like a, a medicine man or a spiritual leader who would get to know the members of the tribe and would introduce each one. It was kind of secretive. So you would meet with the, the spiritual leader of the tribes, let's say, and through discussion and observation and your own insights and being living in the community, this spiritual leader would help you understand yourself better. But you didn't have privy to the whole system. You just had privy to what applied to you. <laughs> oh, why, why is that? They didn't think we could handle all of it or... Well, I think it was more that the focus was really on your personal development. I think some one of the things that people sometimes are fear about the Enneagram is that it's going to be a labeling system. You know, so I'll say, oh, I, you did this, and so I see you must be a two, or you must be a seven. Or, and that really goes way against the the sense of what it's about. As it evolved, it was the whole system is now introduced to everyone. And what has developed is an understanding of how how the, the numbers interact with each other or can, you know, relate to each other, and also how each person is connected to the other numbers. Now they have lots of, you know, you can take a, a test or do different questionnaires or whatever, and it will show you probably with some accuracy what your number probably is. When I took it, um, let's see, I took it in the... 80s, the early 80s, we weren't giving, given anything like that. Those, they were still in the process of being developed, and really it was kind of frowned upon to do that because they, they felt the best introduction, you really should identify yourself. So through the descriptions, you should come to, to a place where you would say, okay, that's, that's who I believe, that's me, that reflects my coping mechanisms and my compulsions and my need for growth in these areas. And that's the healthiest way to come about knowing what your number is. And once you know your number, you can try to change it? No. Once you know your number, you can try to be compassionate with it. Oh. So you don't really change your number, but you, you come to know yourself at deeper and deeper levels as you grow older and more experienced and more tolerant of yourself and others. So it's a real, it's a real tool for self-healing, self-forgiveness, just self-understanding, and also appreciation of the gifts that go with that. So with every choice, the choice was made in order for us to cope and grow. And, and as we let go of some of the things we don't need, we release new energies that are positive. It becomes a very positive tool. And I think as you know the system, you become more appreciative of the gifts of the other numbers, even if you recognize the pitfalls of them. I could use some of that. We're talking to Sister Judy from the Dominican Sisters of Hope, and we're talking about the Enneagram. Enne means nine. Enya means nine. Is that correct? And gram is picture? Right. And this is an ancient tool with some modern input that can help us know, us, know ourselves better. So uh, can you tell us what each number stands for generally? Yes. <laughs> okay, so the one uh, is given the some schools of thought. They they keep renaming them, or depending on who uh, is presenting it, uh, they give them different names. But anyways, the ego resent is the one. Really, they're the people that are over perfectionists. 
Mm. And, the, you know, so they're really, they're really um, caught up in, I have to be a good girl, I have to be a good boy, you know. <laughs> that, you know, it, from the child's point of view, mm-hmm. that's what they're driven by. The two is ego flattery. They see themselves as the loving person, and they might do everything they can to build up people around them. And they're very service-oriented. They're really very heartfelt people, and they, they're, you know, mama's little helper, that kind of thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is a good thing, and most people don't stop them. Right. <laughs> but, but it can be overdone. It, so. can, it can be overdone. Wow. So perfectionism, perfectionism can be uh, a defense, a coping mechanism, right. and service can be a coping mechanism. Right. This is ringing some bells. Let's go to number okay. three. Okay. Number three is called ego vanity, and they have to be successful. They have to be efficient. They're also a, a, a loving type. They're a heart type, and so they're you know doing a good job getting the getting the good grades or being successful is what drives them. And number four is the ego mel- melancholy. There, it's what we would often associate with the artistic temperament. You know, they, they want to be special. They want to be original. They're really one-on-one people. They, they don't want to, like a crowd is harder for them to handle than a one-to-one relationship because they're very concerned about making a good impression. This is blowing my mind, Sister Judy. This is blowing my mind. Every time you mention one of these, like somebody's face pops up in front of me. <laughs> and, and one time it was my own face. <laughs> so far, yeah. I don't know. I might pop up again. I just want you to go back and repeat just the titles of one through four again. The ego number one is the ego. Ego resent. Resent number two is ego flattery. Oh, flattery. Ego flattery. Okay, Mama's helper. Number three. Uh, ego vanity. And number four was ego melancholy. Like right. the artistic, I don't know, paradigm, maybe you would call it. And what about number five? Ego stinge. Ooh. You like that one? Ooh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Is that Scrooge? It is in a sense. Usually they're, they're called the over-observer. So they tend to want to take in everything that's going on around them without putting a whole lot, whole lot of themselves out there. Oh, man, those people annoy me. <laughs> It's like, join the party. I'm spilling my guts out over here. Give me a little something. Ego stinge. Okay. Tell me more about that, if you can. Well, they tend to be, can be very wise. I mean, if you, if you can pull them into the conversation, you know, encourage them to, to share their insights, they, they have a lot to contribute because they do take a lot in. Right. But is it that they don't suffer fools gladly or they just don't need to express themselves? It's because they have a more of a fear of expressing themselves. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's safer to, to be an observer than to be a Got participant. Got it. Got it. Okay. Number six? Ego cowards. Coward? Yeah. You're, you're probably already, I think you're already getting some of the sense of it. There are three centers, the head center, the heart center, and the gut center. Mm-hmm. So the two, threes, and fours are the heart center. And when you get into the five, sixes, and sevens, those are the head center. They, you know, they may overthink things. Now, the, the six, the ego cower, they, they follow the rules. They're very loyal. They wait until things are safe. You know, they're the, 
we've always done it that way, people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They tend to be more conservative, more careful about not breaking the rules or the laws. Okay. Wow. Wow. Number seven? The ego plan. They have lo- loads and loads of plans. They're the, they're the happy people, mm-hmm. the joyful people. They're over-idealistic. They just believe that everyone will just have a great time doing whatever it is they think up. <laughs> <laughs> they tend to bring in bring in people into their circle to help them actualize their plans. Do they get disappointed if things don't go well? Yeah, so so when they fall, they fall hard, mm-hmm. but they don't let themselves fall easily. Hmm. You know, they, they try to find the bright side to everything. I'll fix this the next time and then it'll be great, you know? <laughs> right. Oh my gosh, I got a little of that too. Okay. Uh, number eight? <laughs> uh, the Ego Venge. Uh, these are don't step on my toes oh they're the powerful people you know they're the people that tend to intimidate other people they they can be great uh, defenders of the underdog because they really are very justice oriented and in a very out there manner like a vigilante type right so your eights nines and ones are your gut people what you see is what you get they're 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 really uh, people who are often leaders but also they're strong people strong personalities like and finally number nine and number nine is the ego indolent they're the nonconformists. often very peaceful people very quiet people it's like they will sit at the edge of the crowd and take it in and maybe fall asleep oh really but i think as they as they develop what they just they realize is they need to be connected to other people in order to feel alive so they can be great joiners you know they'll join a fitness club they'll join a book club or something to keep keep them stimulated they have a high tolerance for um, uniformity if they like something they can do it all the time or like they can sit and read for a whole day or they can eat the same thing every day you know they don't have a big desire for variety usually so these nine things in the enneagram these nine areas of exploration the belief is that we formed one of these more strongly than the other in childhood to overcome trauma or am i being too dramatic well well it's yeah it is tra- traumatic for a child so at some point the child has to find its own place and differentiate itself from its parents or guardian or whoever is the significant force in their life one of the exercises we had to do uh, in the program where i studied was bring some pictures of ourselves at various ages especially you know in a young age and so if you start when you're two three years old and you take pictures from subsequent years you can probably just almost determine what triggered your choice you know you see the very op- the wide openness of a baby as that baby begins to take in its surroundings and have and have maybe less trust in its environment or whatever, all of a sudden you'll see a shutdown. That that openness is gone, and they've made a choice. They've set up a barrier. It's like the kid who who you know is tempted to push the vase off the the table, and the hands get, keep getting slapped, and no, no, and no, no. And all of a sudden, they're going to say, I'm not taking this anymore, and bang, the thing goes flying. Mm-hmm. It's their way of asserting their personality and, you know, establishing themselves. Got it. So, and, and how how that happens to a child, uh, the choice it makes or the, the path it finds that works for it 
is the beginning of that. We're talking to Sister Judy. We're talking about the Enneagram. And I am wondering so many things, like who would we be what is our potential as, as humans on the planet if we didn't have to choose one of these paths, right? If we didn't shut down to whatever the wide openness that we were born into this world. Do you ever think about that? Well, I mean, the theory is you would remain a baby. You, you would never develop. It's an essential part of growing up. Or at least it's, essential, it's an essential part growing up in this world. <laughs> right. But I, I, as we're, you're saying that, I was thinking of the, the, in Scripture, Jesus says, unless you become like little children, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's the whole journey. It's like we lose that innocence and then we regain it by, by going on the spiritual journey. Right. And I'm glad you brought up Jesus, because that was my next question. Um, Where does all of this fit into, if you were to say, quote unquote, God's plan for our lives? But let me back up and say, do you believe that there is a plan for our lives? Or are we just supposed to take any path and make the best of it? (laughs) Well, I sure hope there's a plan for our lives. No, I believe that. I, I And I believe that, I, th- I think the thing that the Enneagram does is that, I think the beauty of it is it gives many, many ways of growing. So there's a whole system of arrows, there's a system of wings, which are the, the numbers on either, either side of your number, and usually one is overdeveloped and the other one might not be, might be underdeveloped, and by looking at that, you can see, well, okay, I would have more balance in my life if I put more energy this way, or I'm attracted to certain people because of the dynamic that's between the, the arrows on that a nine-pointed figure. Sometimes, if you look at um, marriages sometimes, if people marry at connecting arrow points, it's a very unconscious thing. And the more it's off the arrow points, the more conscious the relationship is. So in some cases, especially in those on those arrow points, one person might be in the marriage because they, they sought out the person who was good for them, who would help them grow. And the other person sought out the person who was fun for them and would be a comfort to them, that kind of a companion. So they're not getting the same thing out of the marriage. doesn't mean it can't work, but it means like the person who's who sees their partner as their growth person might need to have somebody else, other people who are their fun people. Mm-hmm. And vice versa, the people who saw the person in their marriage as the fun people will look elsewhere for growth opportunities. Wow. This is fascinating, and I absolutely love the way you describe it and share it with a Sister Judy. And I know you do retreats on this at Mariondale in Ossining. Right now we're planning to do a one-day kind of introduction and see where that goes in the spring. We'll build on that. I think it's absolutely going to be sold out. Anything else our listeners need to know until they sign up for your workshop in the spring? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a journey well worth taking. I think it's particularly helpful for people who are struggling with their uh, with relationships, and I think it's particularly helpful, you know, on the work site. It's it's also helpful with family dynamics. So I would encourage anyone who is who would really like to have more comfort with themselves and their relationships. I think it's a good place to start. The Enneagram, E N N E A G R A M. Sister Judy, she's an expert, and she does have a workshop coming up in the spring at the Mariandel Retreat Center in Ossining. Guess what? 
I invited Sister Judy to come to the Shine On Women's Retreat in February and give a course on it there. I can't wait till spring. I can't wait to share my childhood story with you when we get to the retreat. I know just when I chose my path. Oh, can remember it so clearly. And one of the things at the Shine On Weekend Retreat in February 17th through the 19th at the retreats at the Center at Mariendale, we're going to invite everybody to bring a picture of themselves when they were a child. That's going to work into our entire weekend. It's going to be fabulous. You can sign up for that at caseysplace.com. I think it's just so fascinating. There's so many ways to look at our lives and how we became who we are and the changes we can make and the choices we can make that lead us closer to happiness, closer to comfort. The Enneagram seems like one of those tools. And it clears up a lot of questions, too. So often we could ask ourselves, you know, why did I choose this path and not that path? Well, as Sister Judy said, you have to choose a path to grow. You have to choose a path to become an individual. Maybe we keep coming back and try all the paths. Oh, gosh, I hope not. But understanding how we got on our path really gives us so much compassion, not only for ourselves, but for everybody else on all their different paths. No one path is better than any other. Fascinating stuff. And I'm so glad Sister Judy agreed to be part of the Shine On Weekend Retreat in February. And I'll just tell you, too, some of our other guest speakers include Carrie Lee, who wrote the book Radical Self-Acceptance. She'll be there. Maya Benatar, a former guest on the show, music therapist and psychotherapist, she'll be there with a program called Fill Your Cup. Carrie Weisenecker, who is a spiritual nutritionist, will do a segment on nourishing the chakras. We're also going to have a morning walk, yoga, chance to get a massage, sunsets over the Hudson, you know, the usual. And Maria, my sister, will be there, of course, with craft services. She's always got something cooking in the kitchen. So bring your favorite coffee or tea mug and your slippers and a picture of yourself when you were a child and your journal and your intentions for the weekend. We're going to talk about what you want, what you need, and how we can build a strong foundation under that. So when you leave the retreat, you know what your next steps are going to be. And you'll know yourself a little better because you will have learned all about the Enneagram. Hi, I'm Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in today for Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show. You can always continue the conversation on the Facebook group, A Circle of Women. Sorry, guys, that's a ladies-only thing. And reach out at caseysplace.com anytime. Our thought for the day is from Ernest Hemingway, who said, There is nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. True nobility is being superior to your former self. Shine On. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week. It's your time to shine on.